Welcome back, guys, to Wrestling Recommendations. I'm your host, Eddie Shepard, along with... Tissue-having Travis Laster. I got some tissues beside me from my runny nose. I was trying to think of something that started with a T there. My bad. It's a little little lame, but it worked out. Tissue, Travis. Yeah, uh, you're back home now, so at least that's a little bit better. At least you're not in North Carolina. Uh, I have been fighting a rat in my underneath mm-hmm. my sink. Didn't think I was going to be able to hop on here. Uh, let's hope I get that some bitch. P- apologize for the uh, internet issues. I was listening back to our episode, and there's a couple of glitchy spots where I can tell my nephew was playing fucking uh, Minecraft while I was on the podcast because I was like, I'm like, what time does he go to bed? Jesus Christ. Like midnight. It's fine. What? He's homeschooled. He's homeschooled. Oh, that's right. That's right. But, but like, I could, and then my voice would like, it would like compress everything that I said in like 30 seconds into like 20 seconds. So it's sped up. And I was like, ah, that's okay. At least at least it's in there. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded pretty good. This episode that we're covering today, it's one of Travis's choices. It's beautiful. Bobby Eaton versus the WCW television champion, the enforcer Arn Anderson from super brawl one. Goddamn return for the rising sun, baby. Yeah, we'll get to that. Let's go ahead and hop right on in. Beautiful Bobby. Bobby Lee Eaton was born on August 14th, 1958. Eaton's first involvement in wrestling came at the age of 13 when he helped set up wrestling rings in Huntsville, Alabama. In May of 1976, at the age of 17, Eaton made his debut in NWA Mid-America. So Bobby Eaton had been involved with the wrestling business since he was 13 years old, and that's fucking pretty cool. Shout out to Huntsville's own Conrad Thompson. Yeah, immediately when I when I saw that, that's that's the first person I thought of was fucking Conrad. So that's funny. From 1976 until the closing of the NWA Mid America in 1980, he would team up with your favorite Travis Lanny Poffo, and later feud with the original Hollywood Blondes, and then also a pre Freebirds Terry Gordy and Michael Hayes. Oh yeah, because he actually feuded with all the Freebirds then, because Buddy Roberts Buddy was Rob- part of the Buddy uh, Roberts was a part of the Hollywood original Blondes. Hollywood Blondes. You're right. Also, also, fuck Leaping Lanny. Hope you enjoy your Christmas (laughs) present, which is another picture of him with a Frisbee. God damn it. I specifically added Lanny (laughs) Poffo to these notes on purpose for that reason. (laughs) During 1979 and 1980, Bobby Eaton worked a series of singles matches with Dennis Condry, who we'll talk talk about here shortly. Bobby would briefly wrestle for Georgia Championship Wrestling and Jerry Jarrett's Continental Wrestling Association between 1980 to 1983. Chicken salad. Betty uh, had to stay at the old flea bag in for five bucks a night and eat some potatoes like Steve Austin. Yeah, I was about to say, I bet there was a lot of zeros that were not on his paycheck then. <laughs> you can stare at it all you want, but it ain't going to get no bigger. What a cuck. This <laughs> one was interesting to me because I didn't know this. Eaton's most successful partnership in the CWA was with Sweet Brown Sugar, named the New Wave. Do you know who Sweet Brown Sugar was? Mm, I had Cocoa no Beware? idea. 
it is Coco Beware. I had no idea that it Damn. was Coco Beware. They would go on and actually hold the titles quite a bit uh, through CWA, I believe it was three times. But I had no idea that Sweet Sugar Brown was Coco Beware. Well, Hall of Fame. I've read that somewhere, but Frankie was the Hall of Famer. What are you talking about? Yeah, you're right. Uh, I apologize uh, right now. Uh, my son is sick. Uh, you may hear him having some weird dreams in the background. So if you hear him, that's all it is, guys. <laughs> so I was just going to give everybody a heads up. Soon after, Bobby Eaton joined Mid-South Wrestling and began teaming with the Midnight Express. Eaton teamed with former rival Dennis Condry, who we just talked about, under the management of Jim Cornette to form a new version of the tag team. The Express had previously been a group of wrestlers consisting of Dennis Condry, Randy Rose, and Norval Austin. To complement the nickname of Loverboy Dennis, Bobby Eaton was nicknamed Beautiful Bobby. They began a long series of matches against the Rock and Roll Express, which ran well into the 1990s and spanned several different wrestling promotions. The two teams feuded throughout 1984 in Mid-South Wrestling before the Midnight Express left the promotion. From December of 84 to June 85, the Midnight Express had a short stay in world-class championship wrestling. I did not know that. Where they mainly mm-hmm. feuded with the Fantastics. I, I've listened to a, a lot of uh, Jim Cornette's drive-through, and he talks about their time in uh, uh, WCCW and how much he hates Ken Mantell, the booker of WCCW. Jim Cornette doesn't like a lot of people, so it's fine. Shout-out to the Fantastics, because the Fantastics great tag team. Damn right they are. In 1985... Eaton Condry and Cornette signed with Jim Crockett Promotions. Shortly after joining Jim Crockett Promotions, the Midnight Express reignited their feud with the Rock and Roll Express and would win the NWA World Tag Team titles from them in February of 86. They also had long-running feuds with the Road Warriors. The feud with the Road Warriors actually brought out the first scaffold match that I can remember from Starcade 86, Skywalkers. Not the Skywalkers. All I remember is the promos of uh, the Road Warriors throwing pumpkins off. Says, "This is you, beautiful Bobby, lover boy." Well, I, just, I remember that. And then and the early, only thing people remember from the match is Jim Cornette breaking his fucking leg, blowing his knees out. Oh man, it was rough. Fucking Ray Trailer missing a spot. Do, do. Yeah, good job, big balls, man. <laughs> in early 1987, Condry left Jim Crockett Promotions and Sweet Stan Lane took his place as part of the Midnight Express. A year later, the team would become faces and would win the NWA World Tag Titles from Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. That would take place on September 10th in 1988. Do you know what's significant about that? Is it the night that uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard leave the company? Maybe not. Yeah, it says Maybe. the feud was cut short when Anderson and Blanchard signed with the WWF over money issues, only to lose the tag titles to the now Hill Road Warriors. Going back, so the whole reason that Arn and Tully left, because you and me had talked about this uh, prior to this podcast, uh, was money. And I believe, mm-hmm. I believe Jay, I think Cornette made more money than Tully and Arn. And I think even JJ may have made more money than they did. Yep. JJ did. Um, that was one of the things is like JJ made almost as much money as they did or something like that. And that, that really offended them because they were the ones putting in the work. Um, and I, I agree with them. Like, I think, it, I think a lot of the stuff they were doing was trying to force certain people out at the time and get rid of some contracts for the whole Ted Turner buyout. Yeah. Because also, around that time, they got rid of Dusty as well around that time. Yeah. Also, shout out. You brought up the fantastic shout out to the fabulous ones. Good old sweet Stan and uh, 
fucking Steve Kern and their bow ties and jazz hand gloves. Beautiful beards and the jazz hands. Jazz hands. <laughs> look, look up those CWA or USWA pictures of them, like uh, looking like they're sitting in like saunas and shit. Like yes. it's like very, very erotic for the time. Now you know what I really wanted for Christmas, not Lanny. <laughs> <laughs> one of the fabulous ones. Just Sorry, think man. Steve, Steve Kern would go on to be fucking Skinner. That's wild. Yeah, and he was a sexy man back in the day. And that fucking beard. Shortly after this feud with the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express began feuding with the original Midnight Express, which consisted of Dennis Condry and Randy Rose. The duo was led by longtime Jim Cornette nemesis Paul E. Dangerously in a storyline that saw them trying to prove the originals were better than the newer version. After a loss at the WCW pay-per-view Halloween Havoc in 1990, the Midnight Express split up as Jim Cornette and Stan Lane left due to money while Eaton chose to stay. Jim Cornette talks about this. I believe it's on the timeline of 1980 or 1990 of WCW because mm-hmm. he keeps all of his booking books. It's pretty crazy that he has all this information. But essentially, Heard was wanting to lowball them not give them any money because I think all Oli was involved with it as well. And they're yeah. going to lowball them. And so they said, fuck it. We're not going to come work. And Bobby, of course he was married and had kids was like, I can't just fucking do that. I have to have a job. So Bobby stayed and they had, they had no ill will towards Bobby. It's just Bobby put his family first. Right. So good for him. And, and Arn also stuck up for him. And I think they actually might've gave Bobby a slight raise. Uh, Cause Bob, Arn talks about that on his podcast that, uh, they were actually real life good friends, and that he kind of went to bat for Bobby to uh, help him stick around and get a little bit of extra money instead of taking it off. But you're right; he, he stuck around for his family, which uh, has to be commended for any any man to do that. Even though he knew his meal ticket was technically leaving <clears throat> without him. Yeah, <clears throat> Bobby right after this would turn face in early 1991, which would actually lead us towards this match on the other side of the ring. Mm-hmm. The enforcer, Arn Anderson, he's actually the current television champion during this match. Marty Lundy was born September 20th, 1958. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to him as Arn throughout this, so I don't want it to sound confusing. Arn began his career on January 2nd, 1982 in Georgia Championship Wrestling. Going by the ring name Jim Fertarasso, he spent much of the year wrestling in various independent promotions uh, all across the U.S., including a minor run with Mid-South Wrestling for Bill Watts from 82 to 83. By the middle of 83, he made his way to Southeastern Championship Wrestling, wrestling under the name Super Olympia. This is a wild think of that. Arn soon became a member of Ron Fuller's stud stable before the year was out. Hell yeah. Fuck the stud actually, stable. That actually ties into um, our Wrestling Ruined uh, podcast over at the Project Louder uh, Network where they uh, the stud stable is going strong, which is cool that they did tie in that Arn was an original member of the stud stable, and that's why he was in the stud stable in WCW. Fuck Bunkhouse Buck. I agree. It was also here in this promotion that he met and began what would become a lifelong friendship with Nature Boy Ric Flair. By the woo. end of the year... Woo. However, Marty would leave, Arn, would leave the company and went back to Mid-South Wrestling. Towards the end of that run in 1984, the junkyard dog mentioned to Bill Watts that Arn looked like an Anderson. Watts called Jim Crockett and convinced him to book Arn. Good for, uh, good for Bill Watts. In 1984, 
Arn made his way to Jim Crockett Promotions Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. There was a strong physical resemblance between Arn and Ole Anderson. Ole Anderson agreed to work with Arn and reform the Minnesota Wrecking Crew with Arn being Ole's kayfabe nephew. Woo! The team quickly became a force in the territory, capturing the NWA national tag titles on March in March, excuse me, of 1985. Arn and Ole defended the titles throughout the year, with their highest profile match being part of the card for Starcade 85 on Thanksgiving night. Travis keeps put up his four fingers. I'm getting there. Hold on. <laughs> in late 1985, the Andersons formed an alliance with fellow Hills, Tully Blanchard and Rick Flair. The alliance quickly became a force within the territory, working in feuds against some of the biggest stars in the company, like Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, the Road Warriors, and the Rock and Roll Express. It was also during this time in 86 that the Andersons, Blanchard, J.J. Dillon, and Rick Flair began, began calling themselves the Four Horsemen. What you Arn got right point, here is the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah. Arn, like Travis just said, Arn would coin the Four Horsemen moniker for the stable as he likened their coming to wrestling at an event and the aftermath of their wrath as being the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Goddamn right. It's crazy when you think about it because really the Horsemen, like the, the stable, it wasn't really around as long as people really think. No. And then. And they, I think people just remember that they kept trying to bring it back. And some was more successful than others. But the Horsemen really wasn't around that long, but it tells you how much of an impact they had on the business that they remembered that fondly. Favorite Brandon's favorite Horseman is uh, Paul Roma. Yeah, you're what right. I understand. I heard that. I heard that. Uh, in February of 1987, the, the Horsemen actually turned on Ole Anderson and threw him out of the group. Afterwards, Ole would be replaced by Lex Luger. In mid-87, Anderson and Tully Blanchard began working as a tag team. They would defeat the Rock and Roll Express for the NWA tag titles on September 29, 1987. Anderson and Tully continued to feud throughout the rest of the year and first few months of 88 with the Road Warriors, the Rock and Roll Express, and the Midnight Express. By December of 87, Luger had defected uh, from the Horsemen and began a heated feud with the group. In early 88, Luger formed a tag team with Barry Windham and began challenging Anderson and Blanchard for the NWA tag titles. The feud would be short-lived as Anderson and Blanchard regained the titles less than a month later after Barry Windham turned on Luger and joined the Four Horsemen. Yeah, he saw it coming. He saw that murderous bastard coming, so he turned on him. Yeah, Travis, we belt. haven't really talked about it. Uh, Travis does not like Lex Luger very much. I think this is the first really instance we've actually talked about Lex Luger. Um, he blames the death of Miss Elizabeth on uh, Lex Luger, and well, it's hard to if argue. He, if he didn't have a lot of drugs around her, she wouldn't ever got hooked. Total Maybe package of my ass. Lex Express. Arden and Tully were frequently in dispute with Crockett over their pay, as we talked about. Their last contracted match with the company took place September 10th, 1988, where they dropped the tag titles to the Midnight Express before leaving the WWF. They would show up in the WWF as the Brain Busters with Bobby the Brain Heenan as their manager. On July 18th, 1989, the Brain Busters won the WWF tag titles, ending Demolition's historic 478-day reign. The match would air on my birthday, July 29th, on Saturday Night Main Events 22. Uh, they would lose the titles back to Demolition just three months later. In December of 89, Anderson left the WWF and went back to WCW. 
which they were slated to bring the horsemen back together. However, Tully Blanchard was slated <laughs> to return, but was accused of failing a cocaine drug test. And Look because at the of that, sugar. Uh, sugar. Oli, Oli would not um, bring him back. Uh, Anderson would help to reform the horsemen. Uh, this is probably your favorite incarnation. And he quickly found success in the company, winning the NWA TV championship on January 2nd, 1990. Anderson remained champion pretty much the entire year before losing it to Tom Zink. The Z-Man. Tom Tony, Tony Schiavone's favorite fucking wrestler. R.I.P. Tom. He, he actually passed away a few years ago. Only Hot for Arn to win. Only yeah. Only for Arn to win it back. Um, right when he won it back, he they would switch the name, so it would go from the NWA Television Title to the WCW World Television Title, and that was on January fourteenth, nineteen ninety one. Which leads us into this match: Bobby versus Arn. And, you know, I was trying to find a bunch of, like, little clips to kind of build up this, and I was only able to find one. And it was Arn basically ridiculing Bobby for only being a tag wrestler, and I have that clip right here. And look here, at ringside, here's the world television champion Arn Anderson. Let's hear what he has to say. He's got a microphone. Bobby, Bobby, I'm going to make one last appeal to you before Super Bowl. Now, we've been up and down these roads for years, you're a great tag team wrestler, one of the best in the world. But now you're reaching for that golden ring, which belongs to me. Be content, Bobby, to be a great tag wrestler. <laughs> There's his answer. Beautiful Bobby and Arn Anderson going at it. Well, there's a sportsmanship of Bobby Eaton. I hope Arn Anderson knocks his block off for that. That's ridiculous. And they're fighting towards the dressing room area. Bobby's got a towel. What a match it's going to be at Super Brawl. It'll be for the world TV title. And we'll be back after this. So now, let's talk about the show, Travis. Super Brawl 1 took place on May 19th, 1991, with 6,000 fans in attendance at the Bayfront Center in St. Pete, Florida. Uh, estimated pay-per-view buys is about 150000 which is not terrible. Um, here's the matches you got. The Fabulous Freebirds defeated the Young Pistols for the U.S. tag titles. Uh, the Steiner brothers actually just vacated them. Um, they, they dropped those tag titles because they had both tag straps, so they made them mm-hmm. vacate them. And um, Michael Hayes and them picked them up. This is actually around the same time, if you go back and listen to our Terry Gordy and Dr. Death episode, where we talk about the Steiners getting that, like, the weird title reign where the, the Freebirds had, like, a negative six-day title reign. It's around this same time period as well. <laughs> this was, that would have been in February. This, this show takes place in May. Good WCW booking, by the way. Negative, negative title reigns. Oh, don't worry. So the way that the tapings work, um, we'll, we'll talk about that here later on in the show as well. So the next couple of matches, these are admitted from the VHS release. So you, got, you know these matches are really good, but they are available on the network version. Dan Spivey defeated Ricky Morton. Nikita Koloff defeated Tommy Rich. Hey, hey. Wildfire. Uh, wildfire. Uh, Dustin Rhodes defeated Terrence Taylor with Alexandra York. There's a big tie in there. Uh, Big Josh defeated Black Bart. Big Josh came out with two fucking bears on this show. Fuck you. Oz, with the Great Wizard, defeated Tim Parker. This had the full-blown fucking Dorothy and Tin Man and everything for the entrance. It's fucking wild that they didn't put it on the tape. You think they would just for that? The castle and every fucking thing. Yeah, it was wild. And then we were going to the actual 
matches that are on the, the rest of the tape. You get Barry Windham versus Brian Pillman. I believe it's in like a tape fist match. It's actually a pretty good little match. It's not very long. Um, that's kind of something that goes around with this. Eligante defeated Sid Vicious in a stretcher match. But did he really? It was a stretcher match, but he got pinned. And then the one-man gang and Kevin Sullivan, it was fucking stupid. I tried to watch this show. This show's it's, all it's, over the fucking place. The softball season, man. Sid's got to take a break. Yeah, take a break. Yeah, you're right. We'll get to that as well later on. Ron Simmons defeated Butch Reed in a steel cage match. This was the blow-off to the feud of uh, Doom. Um, they lost the mast, and they lost tag belts, and they started feuding with one another. I also got some more information about this feud as well after, after the, our match here. Uh, the Steiner brothers would defeat Sting and Lex Luger after Nikita Koloff would interfere. And then we'd go to our Bobby Eaton match here, and then the main event would be Ric Flair defeating uh, Tatsumi Fujinami. Uh, Another interesting fact, this is the television debut of Johnny B. Bad. Ugh. Little Richard Ripoff. Look, fuck you, Mark Merrow. I know you're doing good things now, but fuck your gimmicks. Yeah. Best thing you brought to wrestling was Sable, and then she fucked Brock Lesnar, so it's fine. Hey, you're right. You're right. So, guys, before we actually watch the match, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back with you. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. <laughs> Don't miss the Scream Queen Shockathon Horror Convention coming to Manchester, Tennessee on Saturday, February 18th. Guests include Candyman and Nightmare on Street production designer Mick Strawn, Truth or Dare director Tim Ritter, Scream Queens Rebecca Reinhardt from The Embalmers, and Lane Huntington from Shark Exorcist, Gorotica and Gore Horde director Hugh Gallagher, Cannibal Hookers and Demon Queen director Donald Farmer, plus many more surprises to come. Located at Prater's Bar. Barbecue admission is free, but come hungry, because delicious barbecue will be served all day. Plus, there's an open bar if you're over 21. Don't miss the horror fan event of 2023, the Scream Queen Shockathon. Take exit 110 off Interstate 24 and you're there. For more information, find Scream Queen Shockathon on Facebook. You'll have a hell of a good time. <laughs> All right, guys, we are back. What you're going to do, guys, if you want to watch along this episode with us, you're going to go to the WWE tab on Peacock. You're going to go to the WCW tab and you're going to find Super Brawl. It's going to be season one, episode one. We're actually going to be at the one hour, 58 minute and 28 second mark. The match before this is also on our list. We'll talk about it here shortly, which we already talked about this time. Brothers 
versus Luger and um, Sting. Uh, it does kind of hurt this match a little bit crowd-wise, but once you're kind of there, guys, we'll say three, two, one, play, and we'll get this episode rolling. Three, two, one, play. I will say about this pay-per-view as we're running into it, they just roll into shit. Like, they, there's yes. no time in between it. They're like, let's get as much shit on this card as possible. Well, damn, they have like 11 matches on this fucking show. Yeah, uh, what do you think of the setup here? It just looks very generic. Like, the ramp is... I love the ramp, but, like, those WCW letters have been used for tons of pay-per-views leading up to this. I am a fan of Bobby Eaton's uh, interest music, though. He's very awkward walking down, though. Like, I just... I'm shy. I don't know what I'm doing. This episode, actually, like, or this rendition of it it's actually not the original it's not the original midnight music it's it's a it's like a wwe dub but uh i, I have the match i believe i'm going to post it not, i think i found it on uh, on facebook on our our facebook page i'm going to post it Arn with the fucking yellow tights here i do hate that that long shot there they show the cameraman and orange is oh, going to yeah. stand in there waiting like, I never liked that about old WCW shows, which Super Brawl became the name of their video game and everything. So this is a very prominent pay-per-view going forward. Arn Anderson, they're looking like a goddamn man. He does, man. We uh, we haven't mentioned, we do get Dusty and uh, JR on commentary. That's a rose bicycle, baby. <coughs> Excuse me. Dusty had just can, came back. You got to look at it, too, man. Jim Ross is having to work with all different partners in most of my, in these matches we've watched. So... And he comes across great with each one. It's just he's having to adapt to their style every time. Oh, yeah. I do not like the black strap on that title belt, though. I like the red strap better. Yeah, I like the red one better. I I know Brandon has a version of it at his house. Who is that on that shirt? I think it's just a generic guy. Bobby's mullet looking great out there. Jesus Christ, those tights, too. They're out of this world. Yeah, he is. This match would have to follow, like I said, the Steiner Brothers versus Sting and Luger, which is also on our list. Uh, it's really hard to follow that match because that match, uh, we'll talk about it here in a little bit. It, it got um, Pro Wrestling Illustrated's match of the year for 1991. So uh, that, that says a lot. I do hate this camera angle, though. It's like way too far out. Yeah, it's, like, feel like, it's like a weird angle. up Looking down on them, which this match had a good storyline because – Arn talks about how Bobby should have just stayed a tag wrestler and they mentioned their real life friendship and different things here and that he didn't want to have to beat Bobby. And yeah, they uh, do say, uh, they say when Bobby comes out that he's a man's man, he's on his own with no partner, no manager. And it's, it's wild to think about because Bobby really hadn't been on his own since like 79. And, um, it's, it's kind of wild. Arn with a hell of a sell on this punch, just one punch. Though he's checking his tooth, checking his lip shaking it off like Arn Anderson was an excellent seller and I don't think he gets credit enough for that these are two of the most underrated workers of all time in this match and that's why one of the reasons I chose it because it's a really good match it's it's Bobby Eaton's only singles title win but like they're just both excellent workers Bobby may may not have been a good on the mic but like he was fantastic in the damn ring I hate that pull away shot yeah. Why? Uh, Why did they need uh, that pull away shot? It's wild too because Bobby is super over. The crowd is popping for him left and right. Um, mm-hmm. 
a little bit about this match. This is Arn's third run with a TV title. His first was in 86. He won a tournament against Wahoo McDaniel. He would hold the title for 248 days. His second was in January of 1990. We kind of talked about it, where he defeated the Great Muda, and he would hold the title for 336 days. He would lose it to the Z-Man, but would win it back a month later in January of 91. During his title reign, the title would be changed from the to the WCW television title from the NWA TV title. They did the same with the tag title belts around this time as well. I uh, think Nick Patrick looks very uh, Saturday Night Fever look right here with his... Uh, his hair. V-neck, ref shirt, and everything. He's I so did, tall, man. I hated, I hated the TV title after this belt, though. The, that one that looked like it was a, a almost like a makeshift cruiserweight belt. Had I, like I the red like in the middle. I, I like it. It's like it's like the William Regal TV title. From, yeah. That's what I always consider it. But, like, I just never liked it. I think it's because it followed this belt, which was so iconic. Well, all those belts at that time. I mean, both both federations, it was like that. Bobby's oh. about to get fucking launched onto this ramp, and it looks like it hurts like a motherfucker. Hell of a bump here. Oh. Hell of a bump. Oh, God. Oh, do you, oh he do you just know smacked who, that shit. Do you know who the longest reigning television champion, WCW television champion, would be? Is it Regal? It is Steve Austin. He oh, would actually Steve win Austin. it from Bobby Eaton after this match. Shortly after, uh, Orange about to get a back body drop. We, He's going. Uh, we, we talked about that on our uh, Steve Austin Ricky Steamboat episode in the archives that he was um that because he loses the TV title to Steamboat if I'm not uh, badly fooled. That's who ends his record so. reign. And these guys, you can tell these guys have worked so many matches together, and they're so smooth. And there's almost a fuck up right here where Arn doesn't turn around for the double axe handle. He just turns around and makes it look really good. Bobby mm-hmm. kind of half I also, hooks the leg. I like how um, Jim Ross covered the over-the-top rope thing, too, because it was going inside the ring, not out. That's why it wasn't a disqualification. He covered that on commentary with a Death Rolls. Death Rolls, baby. If you will. Uh, I will say here... So young, his hair looks like shit though. So bad, he's so baldy. It's it's wild. He's like the same age <laughs> as us. Like that's wild. Well, that's the thing. Because what he's born in fifty eight. This would have made him 30, 33? Three. That's what I'm saying, dude. Yep. We're we're older than Arn. Arn still looked forty. Still more of the man here. He looked about forty five. Let's be honest. <laughs> Him and Regal had the same thing. They both looked 40, and they were like 30. Yeah. Uh, Arn first working that. over Bobby's leg here over the, in the ring post. And um, this is something that I feel like a lot of people miss in wrestling. Uh, Arn is great at taking a body part and just working it over and flicking pain mm-hmm. on the leg to prevent Bobby from essentially hitting the Alabama jam. That's that's what he's trying to do here is prevent him from hitting the Alabama jam. Quick question while it's on screen here. What do you think of those ring posts? With the handles on them. I oh, think they're very out of place. It looks tacky. It looks very tacky. And it, Arn almost grabbed him by the dick there, pulling his tight <laughs> But it would you would never like they did that later in WC2 and it stuff like Yeah. I think if Tully was back at this time. Yeah, um, I will say too, if you look on the mat, you you'll see 
Um, the the mat is stained in blood. That is actually from the Sid Brian Pillman match where we saw uh, both guys bleed, Wyndham. which is not something Wyndham. you normally see. Oh, sorry, who did I say? Sid. Sid, Sid. Sid sorry. Yeah, uh, I was thinking because I was thinking of when um, shortly before this, which it was Wrestle War, uh, Sid power bombed uh, Pillman, and it looked really awful because they hit the roof. So that's what I was thinking of. But it, yeah, it was Barry Windham and um, Brian Pillman, which you'll see here shortly in this match. I like he'll tack it there, putting his hand on the rope. I did like the shot over Jim Ross and uh, Dust Dusty Road's shoulder there, right right in the action. Yeah, so that, you know, that was pretty cool. Um, I, I actually went on Cage Match because I've kind of been using Cage Match like lately as our kind of see what it's rated. They actually rate this match at like a seven. And the reason that people said it, they said it was just too slow. And I don't think it's slow. It's Arn being very methodical about what he's doing. He's very, it's um, very, very deliberate. Yes. With what he's doing a great fucking Brett spot right there, right to the sternum. He's going to hit him with these corner, um, these corner hits right here. Like he's going to go down to the middle one. He's going to the bottom one. It looks so comical, but it's, it's cool. Like it gets over. And I feel really I bad know. for them because this this match is kind of in the death spot. Oh yeah, right there, just jamming his head. In. I will say, any I'm not a wrestler by any means. I love wrestling, but any up and coming wrestler can watch any Arn Anderson spot, any show and, and or match, and find spots that he only uses. Like there was one where he he stomps the leg down onto the kneecap, onto the mat. I've never seen anybody else do it the way he did it. Like, he turned it up and then dropped it down. Uh, he does little things that no one else has done since, and I feel like they could pick up a lot of nuanced stuff from Arn Anderson because he's just, just like this. Just this fucking right smart here. in the ring. Bobby's, Bobby's, you know, halfway in, halfway out, yep. and Bobby has his head over the rope, and Arn just puts his fucking uh, shin over him, and he's choking him. Little things like that, stuff you don't see. And it's wild that you don't see that. Well, and the thing is, man, you got to think these guys are working hard because when Bobby Eaton came out, his uh, a luscious uh, mullet was just like dry like, as just can be. perfect. <laughs> and, yeah, and now it's wet from top to bottom. Yeah, man, they're they're busting their ass, and and like I said, they're they're taking some rest spots, but there's so much shit going on during the rest spot that it doesn't feel like a rest spot. Like right here, no, like like so many different things. Bob, Bobby could reach the ropes right here. It's the only thing I could complain about, but um, I had that camera angle does not it's do pure. It for it's, me. It's, it's 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 pure rules, man. They can't grab the ropes so many times during the match. Oh my god, it's don't fine. get me started. <laughs> I I agree. Like he could have reached the ropes there, but like you, you got to give it to Bobby too. He's not stopped selling the knees. He started working on it. Even that punch he just landed, he he collapsed afterwards because his leg gave way. Like little things like that, and uh, so I don't. So something we we don't talk about, or we we talk about every match. When did you first see this hard match? spot? Um, I actually bought the tape, the uh, Roman on the Rising Sun, and I believe this match is on it. It is. Um, um, that's the first time I saw this match, and I was like, man, I never knew Bobby Eaton won the TV title, and then I started researching a little bit stuff online and. You know, Bobby Bobby Eaton's singles run is kind of overshadowed, of course, by his tag team work, rightfully so. But, I mean, this is a great match. Um, it's definitely better than a Sid Eligante fucking stretcher match. I agree. Um, and but, but just that one great. that's not talked about enough. That's why I – yep, 
his knee he, gave out, so he barely he, got him over. Yeah, he barely. Yeah, it looked so good. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's it's not talked about very much at all. And like I said, I feel like the the match that's talked about the most, of course, is Sting and Luger versus Steiners, rightfully so because the match is really yeah. fucking good. Um, but this the first time I watched this match was when the f- network first showed up. I watched every mm-hmm. single WCW pay per view. I think from like. I started from like 88, like Starcade 88 or something like that. And that's where I just kept going. And I started watching all these because it's a little bit easier because there was only like, what, five, four a year at the time. Yeah. So I'm going to have a two, two, three because a year for WCW. This year they had Wrestle War. They had Super Brawl. They had Great American Bash. I think Halloween Havoc and Starcade. So they only had five. And uh, mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm correct. Um, but it's it's just kind of wild to me, you know, to go back and watch some of this that people don't talk about this shit as much as they should. Like this show is a mixed bag. Don't get me wrong. We'll talk about that here in a little bit too. It's most but, most of WCW ninety one is yeah. Aren't gonna go for? I, it looks like I think he's going for a Vader bomb. Yep. The, the, the thing up. about this podcast is is a lot of it is for matches like this, like ones that we think should get a little bit more um notoriety than they do ones that we like i mean of course you're gonna have your bangers that are always there beautiful spine buster by the way that they thought was the end of the match yeah and bobby with the kick out watching the ref they're awesome arn getting frustrated and starts just fucking tagging bobby in the face oh, this is great that- arn was really good at that spot where he, they jump off he hits him in the gut and they do a flip you yep. But that that's one of the reasons we started this pod is for matches like this, like ones that don't get that uh, notoriety so people maybe can find it and see it. Beautiful neck breaker. Bobby's, a lot of people thought the body was the slam and Bobby's like, it's over. Pointing to the fucking corner. He's going to start climbing up and we're going to see Barry Wyndham come down here and Pillman cuts him off and then Alabama jam. One, <laughs> two. Beautiful. They miss it. And they miss it. I hate it. I hate that about WCW. They miss shit like that for watching the run up the ramp, which Bobby's literally excited. I give that to him. He high fives uh, Nick uh, Nick Patrick here too. Uh, he it, it's just kind of something unco- like you don't really see, but the crowd pops for Bobby man. Yeah. And the replay, I'm, kudos to WCW this time. They show the replay and they actually show the pinfall during the replay. So I give them that. Um, but they fucked up. They missed the three count. That's like the cardinal rule, and it's just wild. Bobby just hits that so perfectly, too. You got to think there. It, that was smart because Arn turned to be in the opposite corner, but he knew Barry had to run down, so he moved Arn to the other corner. Yeah. If you look back on it now, like that, that was smart, smart from uh, Bobby there. Yeah. Ultimate professional. This is definitely um, a show I recommend watching. And going out, this is probably the, the the shortest match I think we've done so far on our list, and um, mm-hmm. it's it was a good one. It f- definitely flew by, and um, yeah, let's for, talk about the for people that said that people said that match was slow, man. Like it's fourteen minutes, it's full of full of like deliberate deliberate action, like him working over a knee and things like that. Like, yeah, I mean, it didn't feel long to me. Like if. Like, it's not a match that I feel like, man, we shouldn't have put it on the list. I mean, I feel like it's a good match, a lot of action, got some, got a key moment in a man's career that's not really talked about. So, yeah, fuck those people that said the match was slow. 
Yeah, um, I think a lot of people were just used to super high spots. The only high spot in that match is the fucking finish, and that's mm-hmm. it. And, and I, I, I dug it, man. And yeah, so uh, the aftermath. This show is notable for so many reasons, and it, it's wild to think about. Super Brawl would be the Ric Flair's last pay-per-view for several years as he left the company less than two months later due to Jim Hurd. At the time of his Hurt departure, John. he was still the champion, and he took the belt as collateral. Due to unpaid wages, Flair felt he was owed in his deposit, $25,000 deposit. Talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Hurd basically told him to shove it up his ass. So we would eventually get Luger versus Wyndham in the cage at Great American Bash where the whole crowd chanted, we won Flair. Um, that should have told Jim Hurd he fucked up. Uh, the match between the Steiner brothers and Luger and Sting, like I mentioned, was voted 1991's match of the year by the readers of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Right after the cage match, Butch Reed would leave WCW. Sid Vicious's loss to Elegante turned out to be his last match with WCW at the time as his contract had expired and he signed with WWF. And uh, yeah, going kind of forward more with the aftermath, that's kind of the main parts of the show. A lot of stuff going on. Flair's gone. Uh, Sid's gone. Um, the title the belt's gone. Are gone. The Midnight the Express I mean, are gone. Um, shortly, you know, later this year, you'll get Rick Rude pop up. So that's something to kind of talk about here a second. Uh, Bobby would hold the title for only 15 days before losing it to stunning Steve Austin at a taping of WCW Worldwide on June 3rd. He would then face and lose to Ric Flair in a two out of three falls match, a clash of the champions 15 on June 12th. However, mm-hmm. technically, he's still the television champion because those tapings haven't aired yet. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, and that the Steve Austin Bobby Eaton match is on our list as well. It is Austin's first uh, title, major title win. It is. The Horseman would disband, as as I said earlier, Flair and Sid would leave. And Barry Wyndham would turn face because they needed a top um, baby face. And then they turned Luger heel, which um, Luger was wrapped up in a feud with Nikita Koloff. This is actually one of the first times you see the new United States title belt, too, because they destroyed uh, Nikita, destroyed the other belt, literally destroyed it. Took it into, mm-hmm. I believe it was the, the corner post, and just hit the title belt, destroyed it. Um, I think it was just their way of getting the new WCW version of the of the U.S. title belt on there. And it's actually one of my favorite mm-hmm. title belts. Uh, in the summer of 91, Arn would form a team with Larry Zabisco, and they'd be called the Enforcers. They would win the WCW tag titles in September. Later in December, Arn Anderson joined Paulie Dangerously's new stable, the Dangerous Alliance. Eaton soon joined the group after when he helped Rick Rude in defeating Sting for the U.S. title. I feel like people think the Dangerous Alliance lasted longer than it really did because it didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. Less than a year, but it's one that's always talked about because it was it was a damn stable of Hall of Famers, man. It is. It is. When your weak link is Larry Zabisco, that's saying something. Mm-hmm. And, your, and your main eventer is Rick Rude with a Medusa heater and a Paul paul Heyman heater that's fucking it's wild to think about man it really is i want i'm gonna go on my wwe here shortly and make the dangerous alliance on the uh on my um on my universe mode i'm gonna have to do that uh shortly after that with bobby joining arn would begin teaming with bobby they quickly moved up the tag division and won the titles in january of 1992 before the titles before losing the titles to the steiner brothers in may of 92 uh, at one point during 1992 the dangerous alliance held every title belt except for the world title 
The war between the Dangerous Alliance and Sting, the Dangerous Alliance, excuse me, and Sting, escalated until it was decided it would be settled in a War Games match, which is on our list. War Games 92, it is considered the best War Games match ever. Hard to argue. It is very hard to argue. It's a great damn match. Yeah, Sting's team would go on to win after uh, Sting would force Bobby Eaton to give up after Larry Zabisco accidentally hit Bobby with a metal turnbuckle hook. The rope came off. Bobby, Bobby being Bobby's just trying to fix the hook. Zabisco picks it up and hits Bobby with it on accident. So, uh, in the aftermath, Zabisco would be kicked out of the alliance for call, causing them to lose. Uh, and then they would disband in November of 92, uh, following Clash of the Champions 21 and Paul. Paul Heyman left WCW. Eaton and Anderson continued to team until new booker Bill Watts fired Bobby Eaton along with several other WCW regulars in a cost-cutting measure. Anderson would go on to take a short hiatus from WCW, so he would be gone for a little while. Sadly, Bobby passed away last year, 2021. Amazing human being. I've uh, been in the wrestling business now, involved with the wrestling business for years. Bobby is very popular in the in this part of the country, and pretty much any independent wrestler I've ever came across that had anything to do with Bobby, local guys, um, traveling guys in this area, big names, nothing but good words to say about Bobby Eaton. I listened to Bischoff or Bischoff's podcast, Tony Schiavone's podcast, and they had to like pry. Um, him to say something bad about somebody and he wouldn't even say say, well you said it not me kind of thing so um it very very sad that we lost bobby yeah i mean he actually showed up to a couple of shows we went to when we first hung out um there was one that uh i know it was in that building in severeville like right off teaster that armory up the Mm -hmm. up the hill there one where we watched a guy return with a roll-up door and some drunk girl sat in our lap, that same building. Um, and watched Jerry, Lawler, <laughs> watched Jerry Lawler talk for 15 minutes. But Bobby was there. He just came by to hang out and say what's up and stuff. I mean, he was older, of course, and his health had declined a little bit. But he was still there just because he wanted to be around it. And uh, that's a great that's a great, great human being and a great mentor for a lot of the guys in, in this area. Yeah, I think, um, I think wrestling – was better off with having Bobby Eaton in it. Um, just mm-hmm. being you know, around the years, uh, staple of the tag division um, and just an all around great guy. You know, uh, I, there's a lot more stuff I want to talk about Bobby, but I know Bobby's on some later episodes as well. So I don't want to, you know, really say a whole lot, but I just thought it was mentioned that, you know, that Bobby has missed and he, he passed away last year and double um, mm-hmm. a, you know, was currently working for um, a W for who knows how long that may change. Um, with the new regime, um, you know, we already saw Regal leave. Um, so it, it's it's hard to say um, if Arn would stay or if he would go, uh, depending on what's going on. No. And his son's wrestling for AW. I think that's a big reason why he's still there. But neither one of them have been used on television since Cody Rhodes really left. So he was a part of what Ricky Steamboat's last match uh, that, that was in Raleigh and uh, when uh, Steamboat teamed up with FTR. So that was that was cool, um, but uh, I would love to see Arn come back to the uh, WWE. I feel like he, his his agent work is missed there. I feel like he was yeah I, very I very him, big time. I mentioned him last uh, last episode where John Cena he, he was the agent for Cena, and um, mm-hmm. it, it, you definitely could tell that his um, 
his wisdom was used to make things, you know, even better. So uh, I really wish kind of um, we would see some more of that just kind of show up. But what do you have to say, man? Polish this, uh, this match off, man. Uh, just like I said, man, I feel like it's a, like a hidden hidden gem. It's one of the reasons we started this podcast is for shed lights, light on some of these matches that aren't talked about a lot and that, that people should watch. I mean, wrestling recommendations. I mean, that's what this is. This is all about. Uh, it's a quick 15 minute match with the intros and stuff. And got a great commentary team with uh, Jim Ross and Dusty Rose. It's fun to listen to great match, great backstory. I mean, you can listen to Arn talk about this match on his podcast, um, which I listen to. It's like a five minute clip on YouTube. It has nothing but respect for Bobby Eaton. I, I feel like he's a, a guy that's not talked about enough. And um, hopefully this will get some, some ears, uh, maybe it'll help get some eyes on some Bobby Eaton stuff. Uh, I know we've got a got a following, and hopefully we can s- tweet this out to old Jim Ross, and he'll uh, get a kick out of uh, Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton too, and maybe it'll get even more eyes on Bobby Eaton stuff. So I feel like it's a, a hidden classic for these two guys, and they deserve um, to get some more more eyeballs on their work, especially this time period. Of WCW is not talked about fondly, so if you can ever find something good in it. It's always good to spotlight it. You yeah, know, you like I your said, big Josh's and Eligante and shit like that. I definitely recommend anybody you know, wrestling fan go back and watch this show because it really is like a tale of two shows. Like there was so much mm-hmm. weird shit on this show. Fucking big Josh, fucking doink, Matt Bourne comes out Oz. with two fucking bears, real life bears, and they piss on the fucking stage, like on the ramp. Mm-hmm. Um, Oz, you see Big Daddy Cool Diesel's Oz, like with full on Toto and Dorothy and the fucking Tin Man. Fucking Kevin Sullivan comes out there with a one man gang. It has fucking everything. This show has everything. It has everything, Stefan. Um, and then you got classic matches like Steiner's versus uh, Luger and and Sting, and then you have Flair versus. Tatsumi Fujinami, which is a rare match that people haven't seen. Like Flair comes I out mean, uh, to to not his normal music. It is more like a Spartacus style theme, which is what yeah. Jim Heard wanted out of Flair, and I fucking hate it. I watched it. and I was like, this doesn't and sound right. Flair had a haircut too. His hair's cut he does short. Have a haircut. Uh, different things, uh, and also, man, another good match on this card is Pillman and Wyndham. It's another. Yeah knockdown drag out kind of match so there's there's good and bad it's like you said a tale of tale of good wrestling versus jim hurd's wants for the company uh and you can also compare this to a a 91 wwe show and the production values are just the shit compared to that but um it's it's definitely a tale of two shows and it's worth a watch and hopefully people will give it give it a shot yeah i agree so, Travis, we're on to my favorite part of the show where we get to go to the Wheel of Destiny and spin the wheel and make the deal. So, guys, if you have never watched or watched along with us or listened to an episode of the podcast, uh, we have an ongoing list. Um, I have no idea what, what we're up to. I, I can tell you here in a second. Um, but we have matches from the WWE, WWF, WCW, TNA, NWA, uh, Lucha Underground, ECW. We just had a Lucha Underground matches. We totally forgot about Lucha Underground. Um, 
along with uh, NGW shows, the, the show I'm, the local show I'm involved with, some bangers on there. Um, I feel like we're missing something. What, 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 else, what else is there? Ring, Ring of, of Honor, Honor, New Japan, and there's AEW matches as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we're a little bit all over the place with with this, um, and we continuously can uh, NXT matches, and we continue adding more and more matches to our list. Travis, right now. We're at 182 matches. We continuously add matches to this list. I know a good buddy right. uh, of the show, Eric, uh, actually threw another match at us, and we added it to the list. Um, but, yeah, so let's, you know, I, I we take all these matches, guys. We put them into a, the will of names, and it shuffles them and randomizes them, and whatever match it lands on, that's what we cover. So let's spin the wheel, and let's make a deal, Travis. What do you think it's going to be? Spin. <clears throat> I'm going to go... Uh, 2000s WWE. That's what I was going to say as well. I was be. thinking 2002 WWE. Oh, it is not. Six. It's not early sure. 2000s, but it is WWE. And this one's going to be a fun one because it's a little bit more modern. Uh, this is going to be Dolph Ziggler versus Edge from the Royal Rumble. I believe this is 2011. I will, I will take that. Yes, it's uh, it's in the, the year Edge retires for the first time. It is, Valley yeah, Ford? because he goes through, he uh, has this match at the Rumble. He wins the Elimination Chamber match last, defeating Rey Mysterio. And then he has Del Rio at Mania because Del Rio wins the Rumble mm. match. It's the 40 man Rumble. And, the, and they're the first match on the card for uh, that Mania. Fun that's, fact. That's when Christian comes out with him. Fun fact. Um, the reason that was a 40 man Royal Rumble is because they didn't feel like they had enough star power in that match. So they figured they would add 40 guys instead of 30. And and Edge requests to work with Ziggler. And this is in the middle of his Vicky Guerrero run. So, yes. Um, and Dolph actually gets a title, a, a one night title reign um, during this because mm-hmm. of the SmackDown building up to it. He beats Edge and Edge wins the title back. And then this kind of leads to this match here. So uh, I'm excited, man. Um, that's a fun time for uh, for us for wrestling. That's like right is when we're a, hanging out. That's like right when this, we first met each other. Is this mine or yours? It's yours. I've had one. Hell yeah, <laughs> I've had one. <laughs> I swear, man. And it, it's it's like we have an equal. I was just lucky on everything else. It is not. Life. It's not like you have like. You know, there's a hundred, you know, 183 matches. hundred of them. hundred of them are yours. It's not like that. It's like, it's pretty equal. So it's, uh, it, it, it's, pre- it's pretty, it's pretty wild. But uh, to finish this off, Travis, what you got for us, man? Uh, nothing much, man. You know, just still selling stuff on eBay over there at TGL, the man 12, uh, putting up a bunch of uh, turtles and different stuff right now. Um, just, just trying to sell some stuff, clear out my garage a little bit. Um, just did a podcast with the wrestling purists, uh, finishing the last pay-per-view um, for WCW in 2000, which is Starcade, and, and boy, is it a shit show. And if it's considered one of the best WCW pay-per-views of 2000, and it's that terrible, that's saying something. Uh, I really the enjoyed match? the Kevin Nash. ladder match? It is, and it's also the match I said was match of the night was the Insiders versus the Natural Born Thrillers for the WCW tag titles because the fans were actually invested in it. If you watch that ladder match back, fans are sitting on their hands. I mean, match is great, but like there was no crowd investment, which you could say that for most of WCW 2000 at the time. I think it only had 50,000 buys, if I'm it's not, because, uh, not it's badly because, it's because three count broke up and they didn't say get up on your feet, put your hands and, together. 
and no tank Abbott, man, no tank Abbott. So uh, check us out over there. Uh, uh, Ryan and Jeff are good dudes, even though Jeff hates uh, Shawn Michaels and he hates Sting. I know uh, Eddie holds a grudge against him for hating Shawn Michaels, which is uh, if you're a Bret Hart guy, you kind of got to choose the two. But Eddie's a fan of both. No, you can so. fucking enjoy both he, of them. Like you. I don't understand why you can't exactly. enjoy both. <laughs> exactly. I enjoy both. I just don't enjoy when Goldberg kicks Bret Hart in the head and ruins well, his yeah. career. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but uh, shit. And uh, and then we 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 still have wrestling ruined over there with our our buddy Brandon. We haven't recorded in a while. Hopefully, we, we haven't recorded since out. September, man. We haven't had yeah. time. So maybe after the first year or something, we get get back on that. Uh, I, I miss busting Brandon's balls a lot, and I, I have Christmas presents to give you guys. So that's got to be on air for for the terribleness that's on there. Uh, but that's pretty much it for me. I'll let you. I'll let you plug the Twitter and stuff. So we're yeah, guys, definitely follow us on wrestling uh, wrestling recommendations on Facebook, Wrestling Reckham, R E C O M M on our Twitter page. Um, follow myself and Travis on Twitter. Uh, follow me, Eddie J Shepherd. Excuse me. Follow me at Eddie J Shepherd. Uh, you also can follow the uh, the show that I'm involved with NGW at nextgentn.net or at nextgentn on social media. <coughs> Excuse me. I swear. Uh, you think you get over this this crap and, and also, all of a sudden it's back? <coughs> that Sorry. son of a bitch, John Moxley, finally blood again. So the the boys over there at uh, at Bleeding John got to tweet for the first time in a while. So I know, you know I was those guys are nice. Like, Give those guys like, a follow. Bleeding and... John, where the fuck are you? It's actually happening. Apparently, apparently, they were asleep because they were like, "Man, he's not going to bleed again." And then all of a sudden, he fucking bled, and we, they had to update it. So, good dudes over there. I really, I really appreciate what they do out there, letting the the, the wrestling one know if John Moxley's bleeding. So, give those a, go give those guys a follow at Bleeding John. They would appreciate it. Yeah, guys, big fans of our out, podcast. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Uh, definitely also check out at Wrestling Ruined uh, with the Project Ladder Network that we're involved with. Uh, you can find all those episodes on um, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, just like our episodes. And uh, like I said, we'll be hitting back up on that. I know we, the last one we covered was uh, we're going through 1995 right now. King of the Ring 1995 was our last one. Um, it's a pretty good one. But until uh, next time, guys, I am Eddie, and this is Travis. And we will see you next time.